From the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here's your host, Rocky LaFleur. I bet you slice into the woods a hundred bucks. Gambling is illegal at Bushwood, sir, and I never slice. Also starring Josh Webb, Jake LaTondras, Rob Kroon, David Ellis, and Ramsey Russell. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Ducks House Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Joining me today, Double R. Good to be back from Thanksgiving. Ramsey, how are hey, you? Man, I'm glad to be back. I'm good. I'm good, but I'm having to make an honest living this week. This is one of them hell weeks we have around the office where we're getting ready, you know, packing packing stuff for convention and getting uh, all the media put out, building web pages. It's like just making having to make an honest living all of a sudden instead of duck hunting. But I'm I'm happy to be here, Rocky. I needed to break. So you and Forrest are about to hit the road, correct? We are. Next uh Tuesday. Next Tuesday he finishes up exams at state and I'm gonna scoop him up. Um, around Wyoming, and we're going to run up to Boot Hill, Missouri for five or six days and hunt with some outfitters and associates. And then we're going to jump down to uh, Mount Stuttgart and hunt some really nice green tree reservoir stuff. Uh, wow, is that guy running a great operation. I think it's going to be one of the great ones. And then we're going to finish up out on the uh, Oklahoma-Kansas line. And I ought to be home. Uh, I ought to be home late on the 23rd or early on the 24th. You know, we, we try to do that every year, get out of school, and we just go make a run of it. And um, You know, it's duck season somewhere. If the ducks ain't South Delta, Mississippi, and they're not, uh, go find them somewhere else. But I'll tell you the hunt I'm excited about, Rocky, is uh, Saturday morning, I'm going to fly down to Orlando, and of all places in the world to go duck hunt, who flies into Orlando, Florida? But I'm going to be picked up by a longtime friend and client, and we're going to go to some private property he hunts, uh, and we're going to target the Florida model duck. I've been wanting to do that for several years. I've shot model ducks in Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas. Never shot the one down in Florida, and it's a totally different subspecies. And uh, I, I really, I, I, to me, a little lighter, and, and uh, never did those two subspecies home ranges overlap, but he's a little lighter colored, and I think he's just a real beautiful duck. And I just want to scratch them off my own personal life list. And I've been putting it off for years, but whew, uh, conditions of the South Delta, Mississippi, what a great time to go chase that. And I'm I'm really pretty darn excited for that. Just just, just a long way to go to shoot one duck. Hopefully we're hunting two more ones. Hopefully I'll shoot two. I'm I'm excited for that. Florida. I mean, there there are some awesome. I mean. Florida's the most forgotten place in duck hunting, but there, there are a lot of teal, a lot of ringnecks, uh, model ducks, whistling ducks, mix, the Mexican whistling duck, tree whistler, whatever you well, want to call there's it. There's two whistling ducks. There's the fulvous whistler, and there's the black-bellied whistling duck. 
And the black belly whistler is the same as we've got, you know, from here to Guatemala, all along the Gulf Coast area. Same same ones that have moved up since Rita and are, are using nest boxes uh, as far north as, uh, heck, I've seen them up around uh, Chula and Willowbrake and just all throughout the, the Delta now. Uh, they, oh, they, yeah. they took a plus and kind of started coming up here. But that fullest whistling duck, to me, in terms of the North American 50 or 41 or 50 or more, depending on how you count your subspecies, I call it 50. That 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 fullest whistling duck, to me, represents the toughest one. It really does because uh, they they do breed down in southwest Louisiana, southeast Texas, out in that Gulf Coastal area, but they're gone. They're, they're there in September before you can hunt them, and then they're gone. And we, every once in a blue moon, we'll luck into one or five uh, down to Sonora or, or Sinola, Mexico, or something like that, but generally not. Generally, they're they're gone, gone. I, I really think the birds go into uh, probably Guatemala. If I had to guess, and I, I can't confirm this, they go to very far south Mexico or maybe into Guatemala or Central America, those fulvas do, except for the Florida population. And, you know, for guys that are chasing them, I think Florida offers the best chance to knocking off your model duck, black-bellied whistling duck, and the fulvous whistler. And, and you can pick up every now and again, pick up some really nice late-season blue-winged teal. Um, the problem is there's just really a lot of your outfitters down there. I know several of them, they, they just don't run at a scale like the boys out in, you know, out in the Midwest do. They just don't, they don't do that. They, they just run, you know, a dozen or two dozen people a year and go into very select habitats where those birds are and knock off one, one, one and, and call her done, you know, and, uh, but, but I, that fullest whistling duck for North America, to me, that's one of the toughest of the North American species to get. I've shot them. Um, and bet your butt if one flies over, I'll shoot another one down there. But, uh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going down there for that one subspecies. And I was told there, there are some ringneck, there are some teal, there are some other birds buzzing around. Um, so it'll be a duck hunt, but I'm, I'm specifically going to target that one big Drake Florida model duck. That's, that's just, if I can get that bird, I can scratch him off the list and call her done. And then, and then Tuesday, I'll come home Monday and regroup and then Tuesday fourth and I'll hit the road till about Christmas Eve. Uh, I was leaving my mom's, I, I, it was probably September. There's some. Uh, old cotton warehouses, um, right beside the gin. Um, anyway, they, for years and years now, they've been storing corn and beans in those old warehouses. Um, don't use, but a couple of them for cotton now. It's probably six of them out there, but I was coming through in September and I guess they had either dropping corn off or beans off or leaving with it I, i'm not sure but i bet there were probably a it was probably 100 to 150 black belly whistling ducks just standing wow. out there on the gravel and that was back in september yeah it was probably it was probably <clears throat> august september yeah uh one year one, you know we always have a flock or two small and i think it's just like a big family cohort uh, August, September, you'll see them in places over at Willowbrake. But, man, let me tell you this. If you see them in November, uh, you might as well go golf because okay? it's going to be one of them seasons. I, I, I don't know why I know that, but I know that. Uh, the year I saw them in November, um, 
pre-flood event. It, it wasn't much of a duck season. You know, the bird didn't, something didn't push them out good enough. And I never wanted to see that wasn't good anywhere, uh, here or there. But, but it's a, uh, they're an interesting bird. I wish, I wish over time they would, uh, I'd love for them to start maybe, maybe, uh, hanging around provided that, that they just became adaptable and started staying, uh, without a hurt duck season. You know, I'd love to see them during big duck season because they're a, they're a good bird to eat. They're a fun bird to hunt. I really enjoy them. I know in parts of the world we go to Mexico, South America, that we we get into whistling ducks pretty good. I I love them. I really think they're a lot of fun to hunt. And um, man, once once a flock yeah. of whistling ducks gets in the wheelhouse, they they've got those long legs and that long neck. And they've got relatively short, fat wings, and they're a tad awkward. I mean, I hate to say it, but but you know, once those birds commit to the decoys. They ain't going nowhere quick, like a teal or camps back. Or I mean, they're not going anywhere quick. Because once they get in the wheelhouse, you you kind of got them. You know what I'm saying you 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 kind of got them. You know, from a weather perspective, talking about the season overall, and then talking about if you seeing uh, those whistling ducks. You know, this season is reminding me, Ramsey, from a weather perspective of the and looking ahead over the 10 or 15 day forecast this reminded me of the 1415 season if you remember that year where it got real real cold in the early november like it did this year and then it's kind of been mild ever since december was kind of mild and and, and wet and then january it, it just he just the Great winter of 2015 set in. It was cold, cold, cold. It, it could be, Rocky. I have no idea. I just know that, you know, I'm hearing credible reports of ducks all around us. Tennessee, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana. I'm hearing I'm hearing very credible reports of, of, of ducks. And uh, right now it just seems to be a vapor lock. I know some folks yeah. have ducks in Mississippi, but I'll not, not a lot of not well, a lot of folks. Have you talked to anybody that's still in Canada? Because there's a couple of places I've talked to people that there's there's ducks back up there again. That's right. That's right. And that's not that's never a good sign. That's never, never, never a good sign. Um, but it is what it is. You know, um I'll take I'll take I'll take what the duck guys brings. I duck hunt, but uh, whoo, boy, I, I was up there in Missouri a few weeks ago with Ira, and we hunted seven-degree weather. That's not but eight-hour drive from here. It's not like <laughs> halfway across the world. And I was thinking, holy cow, it's going to be one of them winters, isn't it? No, 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 it ain't. But it ain't so far. Remember, it got real cold here about that time. It hit it all the way down here. Um, so I don't know, Rocky. I'm just going to take what the, what the duck season brings and uh, travel and work and do what I do, you know. Hey, well, coming up today. Coming coming up today. You 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 had another conversation uh, while you were in Utah, and you know the we've got what two two more after today's, which really gives you a great perspective on the waterfowl hunting in Utah. I think Utah is one of the most underappreciated, forgotten states when it comes to waterfowling. I think it is, Rocky, and I, I did not I did not know that when I went out there. I recorded five conversations. Uh, I went out there to hunt and threaded along with some other invites, ended up staying about 10 days, and I, I realized 
day or two into it that it was much, much better, much, much bigger, more multifaceted than I had initially thought. And and so uh, so diverse, and it's so such a rich environment still, and there's so much public environment. So so last time we talked to Jessup Bowden about uh, kind of a Ducks Unlimited conservation perspective, some of the issues going on. Today we're going to talk to Chad Yamani. Uh, I've known Chad or known of Chad, gosh, 20 years since way back in the old Avery days. Um, He's just always been around. I've always known him. He's always been a great duck hunter. He's he's a firefighter by trade and uh, runs a runs a, a kind of a small guide business. And I don't mean small like nickel and dime. I mean just he does, he's not full time all the time running thousands of bed nights into it. But he but man, let me tell you what. Um, he's got the right gear to get whew, way back there to the back. He knows that region like the back of his hand. Uh, he's a duck hunter himself. His specialty is swans. So if a man wants to shoot a swan, you get drawn to Utah, and it might take a few years to get drawn, he's a go-to guy, and he can put you on ducks too. And uh, But but I knew him from way back when, and, and he said, hey, let's go duck hunting. I said, great. And we showed up at a public boat ramp. Rocky, there were 15 trucks with empty trailers behind it at the boat ramp when we got there. It was daylight. It was, hey, you could see we naked eye. And, um, that's the way he planned it. He said, don't worry. We're, we're, <laughs> there ain't going to be nobody where we're going. And there wasn't. We drove about 30, 45 minutes with that airboat going, and it was woo, bracing cold that time of day in that high desert. Rocky, going out there on that shallow water where we were, never will forget that water was so slick out in front of that boat. You just, it just couldn't have been inches deep. And it reflected like a mirror, and the sky was real cloudy and blue with gray and white clouds and beams of sunshine. And as you looked out ahead of the boat, far as human eye could see across the open water, you you literally couldn't tell where heaven ended and 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 the water started. It, it was the most surreal experience I've ever been into. And we drove just. Whew, way out there and we started seeing ducks boiling up and just out down below us maybe a mile was man, it's just like every duck in the world was boiling like a like a beehive boiling and uh he pulled up in we found some cover and there were three or four buddies and and we we threw our decoys out you know, grabbing those till and shoveler decoys uh that had been texas rigged just handfuls at a time we're tossing them out there and they, they even broke out uh they broke out a few mojos and Chad reached up under his uh, seat and he said, Ramsey, this thing's been in my shop for two years. I broke it out just because you're here. And uh, he broke out a spoonzilla, stuck it right out there in the spread. And we commenced to whoop an ass. I mean, it was so many ducks just coming through often enough, you know, in threes and fives and six and ten and twelves and no, there were there were we got in this real tight cover and it's a worthless, terrible, terrible, terrible plant called Phragmites, except that it makes the best blind cover you've ever been into. So you just kinda of cut a trail in there and we all got in our little cubby holes and no ducks couldn't see nothing. If you weren't careful, you couldn't see you couldn't see out, but you had to get your cubby hole just right. And um it was such a uh, bird from the left, bird from the right. We took turns shooting. On my end, a flock of five come in and uh, the guy would say, you know, 
you shoot the front bird, I'll shoot the, you know, you shoot the right, I'll shoot the left or whatever, you know. And, and when the guy, when the birds came here from the other side, we didn't even shoot. Hell, you couldn't see them through the Phragmites. They shot. And uh, so everybody knew who killed what. It was it was crazy. But, man, I mean, we sat there, and then I'm going to say in 45 minutes or an hour, we all had our birds. And, uh, wow, and it's a seven-bird limit. And, and But what I'll never forget it's rocky. This 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 land is so flat, over water. All those boats I'd seen at the boat ramp, all this public land. We just had a spectacular hunt, and never heard another gunshot. And you hear a gunshot for miles. It seems like up there. We never heard a gunshot, and that just blew my mind. If you if you drove up to a WMA here in the deep south, and there were fifteen or twenty empty boat trailers. That's gonna be a fun morning, you know. We didn't even hear, didn't even hear a shot, and we repeated that for a couple of mornings. And you know what was so interesting though is Chad. You know we talk about the duck hunting there that time of year. We were hunting. Uh, there was this little knee-high plant. Didn't look like much. It's called alkali bulrush. There were just hundreds or thousands, I don't know, as far as human eye can see, I have no idea. There's no scale like an oak tree to, to, to judge distance by. So, I mean, it's just as far as human eye can see, we just stand to this little knee-high thing called alkali bulrush. And that's what a lot of, that's what those birds are feeding on. They might be rafted out on big water, but then they're coming in at that time of year to feed on this alkali bulrush seed, make a real fine seed. And, and then later in the year, like now, I talked to Chad about something this morning, a lot of the bird, there's a lot of ice in places, and, and the birds are starting to transition, and they're going out to a different part of water where they're feeding on brine shrimp near to the actual Great Salt Lake, brine shrimp and brine shrimp cyst or eggs, and that's where he's keyed in right now. But, but I, you know, the, the Great Salt Lake basin is so vast and so diverse that just talk to one person about it just gives you one perspective but it doesn't tell the whole story so we talked we, we talked about big conservation issues and what's going on and why it's vital and why it's important with Jessup then we talked to <clears throat> we talked to Chad Yamani a fried feather outfitter today about you know kind of his glimpse at that time of year how he set up how he operates why he hunts like he does and and stuff like that and those puddle ducks Peel and shovelers, and I think it's about all we shot. And we just shot shovelers just because we didn't have to. We could have just stuck it out with green wings, but you know, kind of funny shooting shovelers over shovel to uh, spoonzilla. And um, and then next, we're going to talk to a biologist uh, who is a hunter himself that really, really does some really big things habitat-wise uh, out in those areas. And 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 then uh, the next guest is going to be tony smith who is a diver specialist and it's like you know uh i'm gonna say 10 miles across water from where we were hunting with chad we hunt with tony now the water's waist deep it's got pond sago weed or sago pond weed they call it boom you got those divers coming in and we're going to wrap it up we're going to end it with the cherry on the cherry on the icing on the cake cherry on top uh talking to a historian and i'm telling y'all after you've heard these other four podcasts and kind of just got this overall picture, when this man brings it home and starts talking historically about the market gunning 
and the history of, of recreational duck hunting and, and stuff like that on this this region, it's going to blow y'all's mind. It, it, it's going it, 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 to it's it's just going to it's going to it's just going to blow your mind like it did mine. So bear with me. I hate I hate to spend so much time in the state of Utah, but but it just it's just you can't just tell the story. You know, you can't walk into Kroger's and go to aisle eleven, come back out and describe aisle eleven, and everybody know what the inside of Kroger's like. I mean, you kind of got to, you know, you got to walk the different aisles and see the different perspectives, and, and, and that's kind of what we try to do uh, in the Great Salt Lakes. I hope y'all enjoyed it. Chad's a really, really interesting guy. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to draw for swans uh, in the state of Utah. I think it might take me a year or two, maybe three. But when I get drawn, I see who I'm hunting with. They, uh, he posted something up the other day. Uh, mostly tundra swans, a few trumpeter swans. But he shot a swan the other day. Uh, one of his clients did. It's called a Bewick swan, um, similar to a to a trumpeter swan. Excuse me, to a uh, whooping swan, but it, it's not. It, it's a freaking Bewick swan, which is a European bird. I mean, you know, it's like like other people have said. There's no fence in the sky. Man, you want to talk about a once in a lifetime? I mean, God, lady about their swan hunting and shoot something like that is pretty amazing. It'd be like. It'd be like being out there and shooting, I don't know, a, a common shell duck or something that came over from Europe. That's a big deal uh, to shoot a prize like that. I just want to go out there and shoot just a regular white swan, you know. But uh, but anyway, I, that's a, I hope y'all enjoy today's podcast. Well, Ramsey, thank you again for uh, knocking these out while you're on the road because they, there's a lot of interest in them, a lot of people following them. But we will get to that interview now. This is Ramsey Russell, GetDucks.com, where it's duck season somewhere. And I am still in northern Utah, around the Great Salt Lake, the Great Basin, they call it, north of Salt Lake City. And what an amazing place. Uh, <laughs> what an amazing place it is for a southern hunter to come up and experience duck hunting. Uh, I'm, with, I'm here today with my guest today is Chad Yamani. Uh, Chad runs... A, uh, a business that specializes in swan hunting here in Utah, friedfeathersoutfitter.com. Be sure to check him out. But that's not most of the subject today. Chad is a very, very savvy duck hunter uh, up here in the Great Basin, and he has showed me some pretty amazing stuff. We, you know, uh, with an airboat getting way back off the beaten bushes. And uh, Chad, this morning, we... Woke up at 7 o'clock. We stayed up too late, having a good time, eating and drinking. And uh, we got to the boat ramp at 8 o'clock. It had been daylight an hour, and nobody was in a hurry. We just went through the boat. We got everything done, double-checked the plug, blah, 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 and cranked up the airboat, all 750 horsepower of it. And off we go to the far side. And I'll be honest with you, I was pretty shocked. Is that common that y'all hunt like that here? Yeah, that's pretty common for us. I mean, really, I, I, a lot of times I'll meet someone at 8 o'clock in the morning at the gas station, and we'll fire, like you say, fire that up and uh, get out there on the water at 9, 10 o'clock, and, <laughs> and an hour later, you're done with your 28 birds and, and uh, smoking and joking right at that by, point. By 9 or 10 o'clock at home, we're done. We're eating fried bacon yeah. back at the camp house, win or lose, you know. It seems like most days. That, but that's that's a real common thing. It's pretty hunt. common. Um, we have this mid-morning flight here, and uh, so those birds, like we talked about earlier, transitioning back and forth from those loafing areas to the feeding areas. And, uh, yeah, that mid-morning flight is just it's usually pretty spectacular for us. 
How, how did you, I guess you're born and raised here in Utah, northern Utah. What, how did you start duck hunting? Who did you start duck hunting with? Y'all, I got the bug when I was, I grew up on a farm here in uh, northern Utah. And I remember sneaking down the ditches, uh, trying to shoot the geese as they'd come into the fields and stuff like that. And then I just had friends, um, good friends, and their, their dads were gracious enough to let me tag along and go out with them. And yeah, 12, 12 years old, you could start hunting back then. Um, and I just got, got bit by the bug and just been chasing them hard ever since. So, What was the progression from ditches to state-of-the-art airboat? Yeah, how did you go from that? I think I think that's probably you know most of us right as, as uh, duck hunters you're trying to uh, always get better using better technology and and uh, you know trying to improve your game and you know I remember buying those old uh, old Henrietta and uh, goose decoys from back in the day buying some secondhand ones and you know starting to try to decoy the the geese instead of jump shooting them and doing different things and uh, you know you you just try to improve your game and then you realize that. If you want to be a, a player in in, uh, in this area and get to the spots like we get to today, you've got to have an airboat. And, yeah. You know, and, and we have mud boats too. We have spots that you can't run airboats. So um, outside of dike units is where you can run an airboat here in Utah. We're outside of a dike unit. That's why. Oh. But like the other side of the dike where we were at today is an impoundment, and we couldn't legally run inside of that. So you have to take your mud boats on that side. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yep. You know, so. Well, I see. I see people walking in. People uh, long tail motors, mud motors, airboats. It, it, it's a very, very diverse habitat. Very, extremely diverse here in Utah. I mean, we 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 are very, very fortunate with our public grounds and our WMAs that we have here. Um, if you've never been anywhere else in the world and you don't understand how bad it can be, I mean, we are so fortunate and so lucky here in Utah that we have what we do have. No, I would tell anybody in Utah listening to this podcast to stay where you're at. Don't move uh, anywhere else because y'all are blessed uh, with with high quality duck hunting. This this morning, we got to the spot. We made a big pass out in that mud flat, looking around. <coughs> it didn't seem to be the number of ducks we saw yesterday, but there's still. I know when I looked up to the south, it was it was from east to west as wide as my peripheral vision would go. A cloud of ducks. Yeah. Uh, which was a spectacle in and of itself. And then we just, we, we picked a game plan, we set up, and we lickety-split shot tons of those green wings. Is that one of the prevalent species that you target here? Our, our bread and butter is the uh, is those green wing teal and the, the northern shoveler. I mean, uh, those green wing teal are here all season long. I mean, they'll stick up until the very bitter end in January for us, uh, along with those shovelers. Um, so where we're at kind of today, we're up in those grasses. Those those green wing teal are up there feeding on that grasses. They're going to transition out to the brine shrimp eggs um, here in you know November December, that's and that's right. when we're getting out onto the salt, actually onto the true salt on the on the Great Salt Lake. Uh, so that's a good point. So so today we were in more of a freshwater marsh area north of the actual salt. Yeah. So if if, uh, if the lake is high. Uh, where we're at is brackish water. Like the further south we would have went from where we're at today, it would have turned into brackish water and eventually just salt water. But wow. yeah, we were pretty fresh today because that's right where the Bear River dumps in on us, right? And so that's where it's all fresh water um, for us today. Uh, but yeah, it's it'll just turn into salt if we. The Bear River is what's feeding that fresh water into Correct. that. Yep. And they're coming in to drink, and I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of that grass. It's just everywhere, thousands upon thousands of acres. The Alkali Bulrush. Alkali bullrush. Yep, it's got a little seed head pot on it that they're eating. That and that's what seed. those teal are eating. That's what they're finding, yep. It drops into the water and they're just feeding on that, that alkali bullrush. And later in the year, they'll go out to the salt and feed on the little uh, fairy shrimp. Yeah, the brine shrimp. Brine shrimp. Yep, the brine and shrimp. And their eggs. Yep. Or yep. sis, somebody called them. 
Yeah, yep, yep. They're just transition out to there, and, and that's what they're going to feed on the rest of the winter. Um, and we're going to catch those those till in the winter moving. We're not we're not catch, catching them feeding, but they have to have fresh water. So they still have to go to the fresh water. And there's some spots where, where we have fresh water that dumps into the lake um, from different rivers, and we're just targeting them on those fresh water sources. So they're out feeding. We're setting up on the fresh water, and they're coming in to the fresh water to get that fresh water. How does how does hunting them out there on the Great Salt Lake differ than what we actually did today? I mean, is it, is it a different hunting technique? Completely drastic, and I'm gonna get you back out here, and we have to go do the what we call the traditional teal hunt, Utah teal hunt. Um, you uh, set up out there in coffins. Um, we have these little black coffins. It looks just like a coffin block. It looks like a coffin, and you're laying in it just a, without a without a top on it, basically. And we're running about 300 black silhouette decoys to just mob it out and blacken it because and. It just works. I mean, when you're, you know, 500 yards away from a, a duck, what do you see? Black. Don't black, take any kind of silhouette decoy yeah, and spray paint it black. We just buy it. We get the black coroplast. That's yeah. like, you know, that's like the, the, the signs are made out of. And uh, they just are shaped like a duck. We stick 300 of those in the ground, throw some spinners out. And uh, about 10 dozen tail floaters out in front just to really truly finish the birds. And, and that's how we gun those out on the salt. And we're in sheet water, two inches of water. Well, that, that'd been like I noticed today, even in that area we were in, it was like that kind of out there where those birds were rafting yep. in front of us. Yeah. So you could have gone out there instead of yep. similar. Yep. And I, know I was talking, uh, I was talking with uh, with some guys about that. It's if it, you know, they get edge shy on us where we're hunting them on the edge. We'll just go out there and we'll cough in them. We'll just go out there in the middle and uh, set up and catch them transitioning back and forth. When when you're looking for a feeding area, when they're feeding on the brine shrimp or the brine shrimp eggs. Are, are you just kind of driving through the airboat and scouting like we did today to see a concentrate in the birds or is something that tips you off on where that resource is going to be that the birds are going to come into? Yeah, you're going to find those huge rafts of birds, but just doing it so long and been, been growing up here and knowing the spots, I, I can tell you exactly where every freshwater source dumps into that lake right now. Oh, yeah. Um, and I can try to navigate you there blind. It's just that's, you know, you, you get on those freshwater sources and you're, you're going to be golden. What, what do you... Uh, Talk very briefly about the swans because I was north of where we hunted today on some property and started seeing some swans and I, I saw some uh, tundra swans and you could hear them and then I, I heard a uh, trumpeter swan and but that that is a that's apparently a pretty big deal here in Utah is the concentration of swans in this basin. Yeah, so we're we're one of the very few um, you know states in in the. Uh, in the u.s to get a hunt on the, there's seven states i think is what it is um they get a get a swan season so we're fortunate uh we have a huge amount of tags uh probably second to maybe north carolina in, in tag numbers wow. given. i mean there's you know 2750 tags given out every year um so huge number of swan tags given out we're very fortunate and we get a huge population that swing through here on their migration um peak numbers 50,000 swans uh, and it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, if if you've never experienced uh, decoying a swan and having a true twenty pound bird into your decoys, it's it's a sight to behold. They're not eating the brine shrimp, are they? No, they're uh, they're freshwater birds. They'll they'll loaf every once in a while out on the salt. You'll see them out there loafing if they get pressured out there. But no, they are. Uh, if you're out, if you see them on the salt, they're just out there during the day, just loafing. Um, do you hit those same areas with the airboat? I mean, is it the same technique we did this morning for swans? Yeah, no, completely different. So that's where we have our mud motors because now we're inside the impoundments, those freshwater impoundments, um, and we're running the mud boats in those those freshwater impoundments, setting up in there. Um, we're catching them as they're transitioning out to feed in the afternoons. And uh, setting up a big swan spread, and we'll shoot them over the, the swan decoys where they're coming out looking for the, the different grasses and 
uh, bulbs and, and roots that they're feeding on. That's amazing. You know, one thing that surprised me this morning was it was a very high-quality hunt, and I did not hear another shotgun. I, I didn't hear anybody else, didn't see anybody else until we got real close up there to the boat ramp, and there still wasn't but four or five trucks. Is, it, is that usual? or? Uh, it, it, it's pretty kind of usual for this spot. Um, you know, you can go some of the, the WMAs that we have. We have a couple of them that just any day of the given week, you're going to have 10, 15 air, uh, or not airboat, but just boat trailer in the parking lot at any given time. Uh, and that airboat just opens up so much more for us, right? I mean, we, we went past a couple of spreads going out this morning that they can only get so far um, before they run out of water, and, and we're able to go out in that couple inches of water and, mm-hmm. and get out there. And that's where the birds are. I mean, you got to get to where the birds are, and so, you know, that's that's where the airboat comes into play, and uh, that, that helps tremendously to get away from it. it. It cuts back. It's, you know, it's a huge expense, but at the same time, if, uh, if it's something you love and you want to do, then, then it's worth the investment. It just seems like millions of acres. I mean, as far as I could see when we were out there where we were hunting, it's just it's, it's for miles. I'd say those mountains uh, oh, yeah. were miles away. And, and yeah. I, all the way to the south horizon and north, I could see nothing but marsh. Yep. Yeah. Uh, again. Well, millions of acres. Yeah, millions of acres. I mean, the Great Salt Lake is huge. And, and we're, we're in a desert, Ramsey. I mean, the only reason we have any waterfowl is because of that Great Salt Lake. Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a huge resource for us. Um, you know, you wish your legislators and your people that represent you could understand that a little bit better at times. But, um, yeah, if, if we didn't have that that lake and it dries up, we're gonna we're not going to have waterfowl. There won't be waterfowl. Well, well speaking of which, have you seen... Since you were 12 years old, and I know, you know, when you're 12 to 20-something years old, you really don't pay attention to this kind of stuff, but have you seen a, a change in the amount of wetlands or the amount of habitat, or, or have you seen any changes since you oh, started huge, hunting up huge here? Huge changes, right? Um, yeah, growing up, I grew up on the farm, and all that all that farmland is now under houses. Uh, we used to actually have a kind of a goose migration, you know, um, through here in Utah, uh, we had the agriculture for them, and I just don't think we see that anymore. Those mm-hmm. birds don't have the agriculture, so they they shortstop us a lot anymore. There, you know, Idaho has that still with the river system and and the the food source, the corn. Uh, we don't have that anymore. I, I think we've lost that migration, uh, and we definitely are losing. You know, there's houses now where when I was in my teens, you you just never thought of building a house, and and they because it was swamp. It was swamp, yeah, and you just knew or that lake. if the lake, you know, we had a. We had this high water year in 83 and and those houses if it ever happened again they'd be underwater they'd literally be in this in the salt lake so, yeah wow yeah that that's uh have you lost any favorite duck holes since then is there anywhere you ever look back at and say man i wish i could still go back to that place but there's a neighborhood there you know uh, not so much come to housing and stuff like, i mean yeah my goose fields are all gone they're on their houses our huge problem that we got is that invasive frag. That, that mm. sucky weed is horrible, and it sucked up all of our wetlands. And we lose probably more wetlands to that. We have some managers out here doing some amazing things. Uh, I know you've spoke with them, but that frag is what's eating us our marshes up. Everybody I've talked to in the last week that I've been out here around the Great Salt Lake has talked about frag mighty, and it's like everybody is trying to get rid of it. Now, on the flip side... 
one huge benefit I see of it is it is a ready-made duck blind. <laughs> it's, it's all it's good for is a hide. I it mean, that's, through, it, though, it, you know, as long as you don't poke your eye out or something, it, you yeah. just step right into it. You've got you've yeah. got one of the best duck blinds I've ever yeah. been in. Yeah, that's that's the only thing it's it's truly good for that is it's it's a hide and that's about it. But um, you know, I I lose a I lose a dog for a couple weeks every year to it. I mean, you know, they get, they get cut or they get yeah. We call it swamp foot. I call it swamp foot. Um, or, or marsh foot is what we call it and uh, oh. it's yeah, they'll puncture that they'll puncture their foot and then just that bacteria and stuff gets pushed up into there and yeah then they're on antibiotics for a couple of weeks and it's swollen and they're healing and yeah it's never a good thing but yeah waiters you know all sorts of things just ruined you, you know something else i've, I've heard uh, especially last night we had probably a dozen people here telling war stories yeah. and whatnot around here is uh you know on the one hand, we've been talking about this airboat and it gives you a lot of access and you can just fly out there to some of these areas, but it's not just easy. You can't just go willy-nilly. You can't just have an airboat and say, all right, I'm going to go hunt the Great Salt Lake. <laughs> you got to know where the heck you go well, yeah, and what to drive into and all that good yeah, that's, stuff. That's a huge part of it. Yeah, knowing your limitations, I mean, that's always it. But yeah, I mean... Um, you know, we you, you saw today we almost uh, we had a we had a rookie driver at the wheel and, and uh, about got us stuck and yeah there was, they're not was, talking about me folks we're talking about my buddy Justin Bodley who was who was practice driving and drove us right up in some what what do you call that crack dirt or that, something yeah that crack mud we call it crack mud it's uh, we're dried out and it's cracked and it and it's. Uh, yeah, you get stuck on that, and you're going to be there for a little while digging yourself out. Yeah, so. I mean, you had told me all that. Uh, you had told me all that yesterday, and we and I was sitting there kind of dozing until I saw that mud getting bigger, and I'm like, what is he doing? <laughs> He's driving right up in it. We started to slow down, and I'm like, oh, Lord, have mercy. We're fixing to get stuck. Yeah, we were, we were almost How would you? How would we have gotten out of that? Uh, we would have been digging some water back to the boat to get out of that. That would have been fun. Oh, yeah. It's We'd still shovels. be there, wouldn't we? We would still be there. Yeah. Have you ever spent the night out there getting lost or stuck? Uh, I've been fortunate that I, I've not, and that's the thing is that the airboat community is, is small enough, and you have numbers on speed dial because – and you're going to help each other out because it's not a matter of when; it's a matter of, or not a matter of if, but when you're going to get stuck or broke down out there. Right, so it happens, just, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, you're running out there, you're going to get stuck or break down, and you're going to need help to get back in. It's, uh, it, you make it look easy, but but it can be a real. It can go from easy to real tough real quick. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can go from a nice. Well, we were, you know, we were had a great easy hunt this morning, and yeah, it could have went from from fun and an easy hunt to to ugly and and muddy and wet and and uh yeah and i'm not 100 percent after last night either so it wouldn't have been good that way <laughs> Ooh, boy yeah there was a little brown water last night floating yeah. around here to lodge yeah. and uh and honored mississippi boy coming up guys they, they brought some makers mark and then they had some canadian whiskey and we just had a contest south versus the north yeah and uh had, had a real good time this morning not sure who won what else? What else would you? How how else would you describe hunting up here? What would you like to tell anybody listening that just like like me for example? When I first came up here, I know y'all had duck hunting. I, I've kept up with you. I bet fifteen years, Chad. Uh, I've been aware of it since old Avery Pro Staff days. Yeah. But but I had no idea about the history and the legacy and, and all the, the rich habitat up here yeah it's uh it's pretty spectacular like you're saying you know i mean who would have thought one of the biggest duck clubs in 1901 you know west of the mississippi all that stuff i mean you know it was right here in utah um yeah it's it's a pretty pretty it's pretty neat to see some of the old pictures and i don't know if you had a chance to if anyone's showing you any pictures when those guys used to take the train out Go yeah. Farmington Bay, and I mean, just by the thousands they drove, you know, in 
droves would go out and hunt ducks. So it's pretty, some pretty rich history. And when you think of, of duck hunting in history, you don't think of west of the Mississippi. You think of no, the east No, I think Coast of Chesapeake Bay. Exactly, yeah. And, and, but that history existed out here. That's yeah. what blew my mind. Yeah. There, there, was a, there was an old market gunner that shot. 4,022 ducks in 50-something days uh, years yeah. ago, and that's that just astounding. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, that, and it's all just because of this, like I say, it's the, it's the Great Salt Lake, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty pretty cool national treasure that we have out here. Uh, and people, uh, we're, we're pretty well kept secret. I mean, as far as waterfowling goes, um, the western, western states, uh, we have it pretty good. We're pretty fortunate. We're really lucky. Liberal bag limits. Uh, 107 no. day season um we have it all right seven now. ducks yeah i mean today today you know you always hear but the glory days are right now and and uh we're definitely enjoying them and i think the good old days are now chad yeah, i really they do they are there, there's a lot of people uh there's a lot going on with the habitat with the water use we met with somebody from ducks unlimited i'm meeting with rick hansen uh soon to talk about some of the some of the uh, conservation issues out here but at the same time it, it is such a rich and big habitat out here. Hey, talk about uh, out there where we hunt today, green wings and shovelers primarily. Mm-hmm. I get. I mean, I guess we could have not shot a couple of shovelers we shot. We, we could have just stuck wings. it out one more volley oh, yeah. and got our green wings if we wanted to. But uh, I know that a lot of people think about cinnamon teal, and I know that it's one of the most, that, that this region is where most of the North American continents, cinnamon teal are, Hatched. Yep, born and raised, right? What here about hunting them out here? I've shot some since I've been here, but they've been brown birds, you know. But what what do you think? What would you tell somebody that wanted to come out here to shoot trophy red cinnamon to? I'm gonna tell them to call you, Ramsey. Um and then I do. I, I get calls. Um I was just telling like you were talking with the DU guy last night, Jessup Bowden. I showed him an article that DU Rands, and every time it reruns, it's the top five destinations in North America to go kill trophy birds, and Utah's in one of those top five. And uh, even in the article, it says right then and there, hey, October, these birds are like any other till. They're going to leave early, um, first cold snap. And they do. We've lost 90% of our cinnamon till. There's still oh. some around, but they're gone. I mean, from, They're already going they're south, already, aren't they? From, from our youth hunt in uh, September that we had, I mean, it, we, we were covered up in them. And uh, you go out in those same marshes today, and all, I would say 90% of our cinnamon till are gone. What, uh, what happens from here through... The remainder of y'all season, surely a lot of these birds we're shooting now will go south. Yes. And y'all have more birds from north come in? Yep, yep. So I think that's kind of where we're at right now is we're kind of in a transitional phase where we've lost a lot of our, like we raise a whole bunch of birds. We're we're not like a lot of other states and in the central flyway especially where they're not raising the birds. We raise a huge number of birds for, you know, that's why we're so important also is, is for those people further south of us and, you know, into Southern California and Mexico is we raise all those birds for those guys to shoot and, you know, and enjoy. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it, we'll just transition right now from, from, uh, waiting on, you know, our birds that have left to, to so the birds that will start arriving our swans will start arriving. And with that, the new birds will come in. We'll start seeing divers. Divers are starting to show up. Start getting our cans, our bluebills, our reds, and buffleheads, all those divers that the guys like getting after. Those, those are just starting to get here, so they'll just go. They'll just start piling, they'll start building up. It'll, it'll build again until it freezes. Once we get that hard freeze, we'll lose them all again. And when will that, when you say hard freeze? Hard freeze, I'm talking our water's locked up. We're running the airboat on top of the ice now instead of. Really? Yep, yep. Wow. So, yeah, we'll freeze up hard. Um, that's generally anywhere from the first week of December. Um, 
where you were out on the Bear River Club, they closed down Thanksgiving. They just don't even hunt anymore because they, 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 they're traditionally froze up by then. So What do the, what do the birds do then? If, if y'all are still hunting, they must find some open water somewhere. Yep, as long as they have open water, we'll keep some birds here. Uh, we have those freshwater sources where, like I say, the rivers are moving into the lake. Um, the, the teal and the shovelers will just move out to the lake because their, their freshwater's frozen. Um, and then the rest of the ducks are just finding the open water. We have enough moving water, some warm spots that we keep some birds here. Uh, it keeps them concentrated, so it makes them targeting them a little easier. But then we always have our January thaw, and it gets tough again because our you know hundreds of thousands of acres and our, our thousand birds we have left now are all spread out over that. Right. Um, and so it gets tougher again if we get that thaw. But um, you know we we always have the. Uh, the Great Salt Lake and the teal, like I said, the teal and the shovelers are bread and butter at that point. Wow. If, for anybody that might want to come out here and visit you to shoot swan, what would be the best time for them to come out here and target those trumpeter swans? Uh, Excuse me. Uh, yeah, yeah, tundra swans. Tundra swans. Yeah, tundra swans. We can, t- we, can, we can try to tra- target a trumpeter. It's going to be a tough go at it, though. I mean, in, uh, in my... All my years, 30 years of, of, uh, of swan hunting, I've held one trumpeter swan. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty tough to, to find those. But the tundra swans um, generally typically start, they're, they're starting to show up right now. But their numbers will get good enough for what I consider to hunt, you know, that second week in November up until the end of the swan hunt, which is December 10th-ish, somewhere like that second Saturday or Sunday in uh, December. But, yeah, anytime through through November and December is, is spectacular swan hunting. It just gets better and better. Perfect. Guys, that's Chad Yamani, Fried Feather Outfitters, FriedFeathers.com. FriedFeatherOutfitters.com. FriedFeatherOutfitters.com. Uh, you've not hunted a more beautiful area. I've not hunted a more beautiful area than right here in northern Utah. Give him a shout. Uh at Ramsey Russell, get ducks, check out our storyline. Lots and lots of pictures from up here. And uh, thank y'all for listening.